just jump into communion now, or should we, what should we do? You know what I'm saying? Um, man, thank you, Cheryl, for your time and your care, and we love you, and we care about you so much. Grateful for you. Um, amen. Well, we are starting a series today on community. Makes sense? Um, where our, our kind of tagline for this series is an invitation to create community. And I'd love to begin here um, and kind of just put our finger up to the wind of our culture of kind of where we are today as a society. We are seeing a rapid decline in community. So take these last few decades, we've seen church attendance cut in half over the last several decades. You read a book called uh, Bowling Alone, which was written in the early 2000s, and it's a lengthy work on the decline of community life. It's not just church community that's on decline, it's commitment to any community across the board that's on decline, anything that requires commitment. This book was written about bowling leagues, and so that's kind of a thing of the past for us, maybe something we would just kind of laugh about now, but the point of the book is communicating that there was a time where people would gather together and commit together and and, uh, connect regularly together, but now we see this social decay occurring right before our eyes. Community life has deteriorated in a generation Loneliness, there's a, there's a minister of loneliness in Great Britain because nine million Great Britons are experiencing loneliness. And so they created a minister to kind of help deal with that issue. Loneliness is the sad reality of the modern life. Gallup, who's another poll group, says that Americans are among the loneliest people in the world. Maybe you feel that. Uh, There's a wide range of health problems because of loneliness. There's a study that says loneliness is worse than 15 cigarettes a day. Uh, There's a greater effect on your lifespan, uh, loneliness, is than obesity. It leads to heart disease, anxiety, depression, and we haven't even talked about the effects of loneliness in light of the quarantine and the pandemic. You get the point. So the question is, is there a practice and the life and teachings of Jesus that invites us into a new way of life, making us distinct amidst the hollow individualism of our day? The answer is yes. There is a practice that Jesus invites us into, and it's called community. So I want to kind of lay out a vision for community this morning. I'm going to be looking at a couple different passages in the Gospel of Matthew this morning. If you have your Bibles or an app, please open them to Matthew 4, starting in verse 18. It says this. Right after Jesus began his ministry, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother in the, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their follow, father and followed him. So Jesus invites these ones. In this context, this is a rabbi inviting ones who would kind of come along with him and learn from him. It's like an apprenticeship today. And so Jesus would invite these people to come and to follow him. And that's what he's doing 
here, as often as I can, I want to remind us over and over again about following Jesus. And so, again, however you thought about Christianity and following Jesus, what it looks like is an apprenticeship where we come under Jesus and we become like him. We be with him. We become like him and we do what he did. That's what apprenticeship or discipleship looks like. He's inviting you into this relationship to teach you how to navigate through life here and now. And so Jesus invites these disciples, it's a plural word, disciples to follow him together. He was, in a way, knitting a fabric together, establishing the DNA of his apprentices, implying that if you follow him, you are following him together. Because that's what we're getting in Matthew 4. That if you're going to follow him, you're going to do it together. It's not isolated individual, but they are together following Jesus. And then in Matthew 9, you fast forward. And Jesus, what he does regularly is he's dining and he's eating with his disciples. And in verse 10 it says, And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy or compassion and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. So this rabbi, and he's dining with these outcasts of his day, these tax collectors and these sinners. And he says this statement, I desire compassion. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. See, mercy is the cornerstone of who Jesus is and who we are invited to be in Christian community. We're going to learn more about this in just a second, but we must have mercy and compassion as the bedrock of community if we are to grow together. And it seamlessly moves into chapter 10. And I want to just kind of hover over this text that we might naturally bypass in the first four verses. And it says, And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And we get the name. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And this is where the, the rubber meets the road. We have a tendency when we see names, if we're honest, that we kind of bypass any genealogy. You know we're like skipping over that. So we like some of the books in the Old Testament because you get like 10 chapters done in a day because you just skip over them because they're just a bunch of names. But there's, it's in the Bible for a reason. It's communicating something to us. And so if we drill into these names, we actually find something pretty significant about the community of Jesus in the first century teaches us about the community of Jesus. And so there's a lot of tension here, and Nick talked about this a few weeks ago, but there's, there's some tension that we see in the names of these people. You have Simon, you have Matthew. So we're going to learn a little bit about Matthew over the next couple of minutes. And so Matthew was a tax collector. So he would come and he would take taxes for Rome, but then he would put an extra fee on top for himself out of greed. 
tax collectors were rejected in their day. And so you have Matthew, a tax collector, and then you have Peter, Simon Peter, who is a fisherman, and he's a blue-collar fisherman. He's just trying to make ends meet, trying to make it through the day, the week, the month. And you have Matthew, who is oppressing Peter and taking money from him. So Simon is oppressed by Matthew, and Jesus calls them both into his group of 12. Imagine the tension that's happening in that relationship. Then you have um, the zealot, Simon the Zealot, and Matthew, these two monikers that we find here. Again, a, a zealot is a right-wing Jewish insurgency group that conducted guerrilla-like terrorist attacks on unsuspecting Roman soldiers. They were out to destroy Rome and the wake that Rome left behind. That's Simon the Zealot. And then again, you have Max, Ma- Matthew the tax collector. And he's on the payroll of Rome. So they're both called into community together to follow Jesus together. And you can imagine the tension that's taking place within this group. It would be like Ben Shapiro, the conservative right-wing political commentator, and AOC, the left-wing politician, being roped together at the hip. All right? So, like, feel the tension of that times five, and that's what's happening as Jesus calls these people together. What is he telling us? He's teaching us something as he does this. He's, see, they're committed to each other not because of opinions, not because of hobbies, not because of preferences, not because of political stances, but because of their firm belief that Jesus was Lord. And that's what tethered them together, a superior allegiance over every other preference. It was the compassion and mercy of Jesus in community that became the bedrock of this new movement that was taking place in this day. So things to note, Jesus lived in community, and the call to follow Jesus was a call into community. We cannot follow Jesus alone. And so if you have drank the, the drink that says, I can just have an individual uh, walk with Jesus on my own, I want to tell you that is not what Jesus has invited you into. Community in this day was beautifully eclectic. And therefore, we need Jesus and his community to help us navigate through life together, like Cheryl talked about. We need one another to grow together. This is what we're seeing in this text. So again, is there a practice in the life and the teaching of Jesus that invites us into a new way of life, making us distinct amidst the hollow individualism of our day? The answer is yes. So we, I want to spend some time talking about what community is and what community isn't. First, what community is not? Community is not the same as connectivity. Community is not the same as connectivity. You can be connected to someone and not have community with them. You can be connected to somebody through text. You can be uh, connected to somebody through social media or FaceTime or travel, and that is not the same as community. Yes, our world has shrunk because of travel and because of technology, but that does not mean we're having community with people that are 3,000 miles away. You cannot have community when your uh, connectivity and community are not the same thing. We mistake connectivity for community, and it creates a pseudo-community, but it's not true community. See, loneliness is peaking while we are more connected than ever. 
We see a, a, a revival of, uh, uh, of connectivity, and yet we are more lonely than ever. We were designed to have face-to-face conversations together. Face-to-face is the most humanizing thing that we do, to be present to each other, to learn from each other, to empathize with each other. We weren't made to be connected. We were made to live in community. Community is not the same as connectivity. Secondly, community is not the same as chemistry. There's a temptation to have a bar for community that is unrealistic. We live in a housing market thing that's just crazy. And if you're in the process of trying to buy a house or sell a house, congratulations. If you're in the process of trying to buy a house, I'm sorry for you, right? Like that's the reality that we live in right now. And so imagine, oh, I'll say this like this. So in buying a house, it's good to have non-negotiables. These are things that like, I'm not going to budge on. I'm going to leave this house. If I'm potentially going to buy, I'm going to leave it if it doesn't have this thing. It's a non-negotiable. So this unrealistic bar of community would be like someone who has a $300,000 budget for a house. But their, their desire, their, um, their wants, their non-negotiables uh, only are found in a multi-million dollar home. So their non-negotiables are, man, I want a second kitchen, I want marble floors, I want an infinity pool that has a hot tub, that has a hot tub within the hot tub, I want four garages, I want 10,000 square feet, I want eight rooms. Like, that's my non-negotiable. And you'd be like, listen, pal, like, that's not realistic to your budget. You can't assume you're not going to get that in this market or in any market. Likewise, we can have a romanticized view of community. To live in community, we have to de-romanticize our view of community. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who wrote a book called Life Together, uh, he was a a part of a co-housing community of about 150 people that were trying to buck against Nazi Germany several decades ago. And he said this about community. He said, he who loves his dream of community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. We can have a dream for community that can actually kill the community that's right before us, yearning for something that we will never have, and it ends up eroding the very community that's right before us. See, our dream of an ideal chemistry can and will the community that destroy the community that is right before us. We can look for community like we're looking for a soulmate. And only soulmates are found with unicorns and trolls. Like they're not real. They're only a myth. But we can look for community like we're looking for a soulmate and it will not satisfy. We will not find what we're looking for. Again, remember Matthew. Remember Simon. They were in community together. Not chemistry, but they chose to allow Jesus to be the glue of their relationship. See, when chemistry is our goal, We search for this myth and we never find it. Community will disappoint you because people will disappoint you. Just because we're the church doesn't mean that we're perfect. We have one king who is perfect and we are the glued together by him, but we are a bunch of imperfect people coming and confessing our need for him as our rescuer. People will disappoint, people will hurt. And there's a time to leave a community for sure, specifically around emotional abuse, spiritual abuse, moving away from the gospel. Yes, those are reasons to leave a community. But man, if we can go through trying times and we can press through on the other side, staying connected together, it actually causes us to grow 
together. Community is not the same as chemistry. So not connectivity, not chemistry. They are not synonymous to community. But is there a practice in the life of Jesus that leads us into being a distinct people? Again, yes. Community, biblically, is called this word koinonia. Everybody say koinonia. Well done. So koinonia, you're still with me. Fantastic. Koinonia can be translated as community. It can be translated as fellowship. It can be translated as partnership. We see it uh, throughout the New Testament. And, and to flesh out koinonia, it's, it's something that you have in common with some, somebody else. You're in proximity with that person, and there's something that's tethering you together with them. So CrossFit has this. It's not exactly koinonia, but it has this, this, this uh, synergy, right? Like, we want to get fit, and we want to ruin our joints. And so they come together, and they, they grow together, right? There's a connectivity that's happening there. But in Acts 2.42, uh, we find this word in one of many places. And it says, the, the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They allowed the, the apostles' teaching, the, the good book, to inform their lives and to fellowship. That's koinonia, to this, this, this community together, to breaking of bread and to prayers. They were dedicated to allow Jesus to be the center of the hub of their lives. See, in Christian community, we live in a geographically similar area to each other, and what we have in common is Jesus. That's what makes us unique, not a political allegiance, not hobbies, not preferences. We might be different on a lot of different things. We might have different vocations, different passions, and those aren't the things that draw koinonia together, but it's Jesus that is the glue for us. The one common denominator is Jesus of Nazareth. This is what you have been saved into. This is what God is doing, reconciling the world from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, and bringing them together under the banner of Jesus. Not isolated people being saved, but a community coming together and being ransomed and being on mission together. It's a biblical vision of community that motivates us into wanting to be a part of community. So this can feel scary and it's, it's, under, it's this thought of, like Cheryl talked about, like being known and going through trials together in difficulty. That can, that can be very scary. That can be alarming that we can kind of buck against that potentially. And so we settle for pseudo-community. We settle for showing up on Sunday, like she said, and saying I'm good and kind of keeping everybody at a stiff arm and not allowing people to enter into our lives. But it's in that place that we actually find deep growth in satisfaction and joy. See, to live in this kind of Jesus community, we're invited to a few things that I want to close with. The first, we're invited to give up our autonomy, to be invited into Christian community, into koinonia. We are invited to give up our autonomy. I know that bucks against what we're told to be an American, which is the highest form of freedom, which is individualism. But in Christian community, we're called to give some of that up. Autonomy means self-government. We can easily function as the president, as the Supreme Court, as the House of Representatives, as the Senate. We want to be our own king over our lives and to really be a part of community together, we have to give some of that up. 
We are fed a warped view of autonomy that makes us think that our self-freedom will bring happiness, and it doesn't. We find ourselves more lonely than ever, more free than ever, and more lonely than ever. Why is that? Because maybe we want to give some of that up to serve one another in community. Comes to a point with the Christian community that we say we need each other to actually go through life together. And it's a choice. I want to give some of myself up to serve one another and to grow together. We are invited to give up autonomy. We've been socialized to believe that our dreams and our goals and our personal fulfillment ought to take precedence over the well being uh, of any group. And so our needs drive the ship and it's a dead end. But what we need is a community of people who can help us become something that we couldn't be on our own. And that's what Jesus is inviting us into. Doing life together, growing together with him as the center. We're invited to give up some of our autonomy. We're invited to de-romanticize our view of community. Again, we already talked about this before. Again, Bonhoeffer, again, he who loves his dream of community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter. So along the way, there will be bumps. And along the way, you will want to run from that person because they're annoying. Along the way, you might be the one who is annoying. And so along the way, we find that it's going to be challenging. But if we press the eject button every time that happens, we're never going to actually grow. Third, we're invited to overcome fear. Fear of what has happened before, maybe for you, you've been a part of a community before, and, and man, they, they jacked you up. You felt like you kind of put yourself out there, and, and you felt like it was just not received, and you're like, man, I, I don't know if I can do this thing again. We're invited to let go of that and say, Jesus, would you, would you help me through this? Fear that we won't be loved. How will people respond to who we actually really are? You know, some fear comes from looking for uh, people to give what only God can give. Henry Nouwen puts it like this. He writes about how community is not loneliness grabbing loneliness. It's not about, I'm lonely, you're lonely, let's try to not be lonely together. That's actually going to lead to a dead end. But instead, it's solitude grabbing solitude. What he means by that is, I'm beloved and you're beloved. Let's create something together. Not looking for somebody to give what they can't supply but finding that in God and coming together and allowing that to be a strength for us. We're invited to overcome fear. And lastly, we're invited to commit. We're a generation of FOMOers, right? People who have a fear of missing out and who don't commit. And we're also the gener- uh, one of the ge- loneliest generations who's ever lived. So we, we live with this drive of FOMO. We don't want to commit because what if something else comes up? And yet we're one of the loneliest generations to ever live. Let me be honest. People who don't commit don't grow. If you choose to stay at arm length from people, you will not grow. Long-term interpersonal relationships are the crucible of genuine growth in the Christian life. When we go from church to church, we become like a spiritual nomad that's stunted and we don't Grow. There's exceptions for sure, especially on spiritual, emotional abuse, moving away from the gospel for sure. But is there a practice in the life and the teaching of Jesus that invites us to be distinct from the norm of individualism? The answer is yes, and it's koinonia. It's community together. So 
um, towards the end of this month, we're launching community groups. We've, uh, going through COVID, we've kind of had to recalibrate a lot of the things we're doing around community groups, but we're wanting to launch them uh, this fall. We have eight groups that are going to be launching, and you're going to be hearing from them in two weeks from today. And I want to just remind us of uh, the five kind of baseline commitments that we are uh, pushing towards when it comes to community. So our baseline is we want to commit together. Because if you just show up once every other month to a community group, it does nothing for anybody. So we want to commit together to the five values. First, we want to foster relationship. And community groups that, that meet on a regular basis, we want to foster relationships, to, to know each other and to foster space to connect together. It's the value we have. Secondly, we want to commit to each other. We want to show up on a regular basis. If you're sick, if you're sitting over Maybe I want to say that. I was going to say it's standing over a toilet, and I said sitting over a toilet, and the, the two different pictures both not good. And so I'm, not, I'm not going to say either of those. And so if you're sick, then you shouldn't come, right? If you have COVID symptoms, then you shouldn't come. But every other time, man, you show up and you say, this is a priority. I'm going to show up to this. I'm going to be a part of this group. I'm going to commit to this group. That's something we haven't valued before as community groups, and we want to value that going forward. We want to value growing together. Growing and studying the Bible together. There's going to be different things that we're going to be focusing on in different groups. Everybody's going to be studying something different. We want to study uh, the word and the gospel and following Jesus together. We want to pray together. We want to grow together. Fourth, we want to love our neighbors. We want to pray for our community. We want to pray for our world. We want to serve locally. We want to support our cross-cultural workers. And then lastly, we want to develop Leaders, man, if you're interested in wanting to grow and be becoming a, a leader in our community, we want to help you along the way. Man, Americans are among the loneliest people in the world, but there is a practice that Jesus offers to us. If we commit to it, that can make us distinct amidst the hollow individualism of our day. And I want to invite you, as we move towards this, we're going to be talking about this this week and next week, and then on the 22nd, we're going to have all of our community group leaders come up and share for a few minutes about uh, their focus and kind of the details of their group. And I want you to make that a priority, guys. This is, this is important for us. This is not, uh, if we don't adopt this as a community, then it's not going to be a reality for us. We can't have a value for something, and if we, don't, we are the thing that's going to cause this to flourish or not, and we want to do that together. Invite us into community. Be a part of it. Grow together, as Cheryl was talking about earlier. So I invite you to that as we move towards that over the next few weeks. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that if we have fears, concerns from our past, um, Lord, I, I pray you bring healing to our hearts. I pray you'd give us faith that, that we could be a part of a community that actually grows together. So wherever we are, if we're thirsty for community or we're hesitant because of fears of the past, Lord, I pray you'd meet us. Thank you that this is the boat that we ride on to get through the river of life, community together. And I pray you would give us courage to step into that. I pray you'd, your spirit would breathe upon this community. I pray as we kind of move forward out of the pandemic over these last months and into where we are now, Lord, I, I pray that there'd be a, a special connection in this community. Lord, I pray that we would not be known as a place where people feel lonely. 
And so as a body, I pray that you would allow us to adopt this, that this would be our reality, that when that we care for one another and we love one another and we see somebody new, we care for them and love them. Lord, would you help us be that together? In Jesus' name, amen. So in the aisles, there are baskets and baskets, there are uh, the communion elements. If you follow Jesus, I want to invite you to grab one of these and we're going to partake together the wonderful elements. You can open it up and I'll, I'll lead us through this time. the night before Jesus died. Same story, guys. We ain't going anywhere. The night before Jesus died, sat with his closest friends. Boy, do we need to remember over and over and over again this wonderful story. He took the bread and he broke it. Maybe he had tears in his eyes. Who knows? Stared into his disciples' eyes. I can imagine him looking at every one of their eyes. And this is my body that's going to be broken for you took the, the wine on the table and he said, this is my blood that's going to be poured out in, in a new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. He said, take and eat of this bread and drink of the cup. So here we are 2,000 years later, post-modern, and yet we are in the same uh, wave that Jesus spoke. And we remember that his body was broken, his blood was shed, and he's invited us into community together. So friends, Remember the body of Jesus broken for you, the blood of Jesus shed. You are not defined by your best week or worst week. You're defined by Christ alone. Let's partake together.